when we first had him on, a lot of you out there, which I'm assuming most of you are Michigan fans, not super happy. Why? Because he is a former fighting Irish player. But now he's backed by popular demand. That's how that works. It's funny how that goes. We're going to get into a couple things about Michigan as well as the teams Michigan's to be facing. That's because Mike Golick Jr. from DraftKings is coming up on this show. This episode of Locked On Wolverines. You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday. We are back and doing it. Lockdown Wolverines podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it is your team every day. I am your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire. And he's back by popular demand as Mike Golick Jr. Uh, I do have to share one quick thing that I think is really exciting news. Mike, you and your father, Mike Golick Sr., have joined forces to host a daily live studio show on DraftKings Network beginning actually a couple days ago. Gojo and Golik anchoring the DraftKings Network's weekday morning show from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern time on Samsung TV Plus and DraftKingsNetwork.com. The show is also available via audio wherever fans listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple. Host Jesse Coffield is anchoring the two-hour-long program from DraftKings Boston-based studio, which is where you are at the moment. You're out there in Beantown, getting things done. So congrats to you on that. That's awesome news. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been fun so far. Obviously, Dad and I have gotten to do a show together before, and so the opportunity to do one again once it came up was something we jumped right at. We've been out here, like you said, the first week of the the relaunch of the show, the sort of retooling of what had been my podcast and show in Gojo, officially adding Dad to the title because he's a diva, man. Like, almost 30 years <laughs> in, he had to make sure his name was on the, uh, was on the banister. So... We got it going. We've been out here in the Boston studio doing our thing, getting it launched right this week and getting ready to shoot ourselves headlong into college football season and the NFL weekend after that. So it should be good. Well, I can't wait to check it out once I get through the humdrum of uh, week one. I'm still kind of thrown aback that the season is here. The energy level has not risen to the occasion. I hope you aren't uh, in the same shoes as me. I think it as much as you can prepare for it always hits you like a two ton heavy thing when it actually comes. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we do have games to talk about starting tomorrow, which is insane. Uh, but let, let's obviously get into Michigan and that's where we're going to start since we last talked. Uh, I, I think the last time we talked, things were looking like Jim Harbaugh was going to be coaching again the whole time. Uh, things had fallen apart as far as the NCAA suspension. Michigan comes in and says, you know what? Nope, three-game suspension. We're just going to go ahead and nip this in the bud. And now we also know that there are four Michigan assistant coaches that are going to be coaching in the first three games. W- what is your take on that? And then and I, we'll get to the, a little bit later how it might affect the the early season for the Wolverines. But how, how what is your overall thoughts about this strategy for Jim Harbaugh and company? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think, you know, everyone understands you try and self-impose a lot of this stuff to, you know, curry some favor with the NCAA, get a little bit of leniency on the overall penalty. And Michigan saw what we all saw at the beginning of the portions, a beginning portion of the schedule was going to be a softer landing spot for some of this. And so why not just sort of saw off your arm to save the rest of the body? And Michigan went with that idea. I I do think, well, the suspension is 
pretty farcical. And we all know what this traces back to the NCAA's flailing, dying attempts at trying to maintain some semblance of respect or order or whatever they want to call what their attempts are here. It's sort of futile. We know that entity is slowly losing its utility in the world of college sports. And this was a laughable attempt to try and make something of themselves. But that being said, I think Michigan's response, and especially in the way we saw this in the NFL not too long ago, when the Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel had their D-line coach coach the game and go through in the preseason, getting meaningful experience, getting reps as a head coach, to be able to take into eventual job interviews, to be able to show people if you want to go and make that next step up. And I think for Jim Harbaugh and company at Michigan to give members of their staff this opportunity, every coach approaches how they want to go about not only managing their assistant coaches, but also how much they want to involve them, how much they want to use the opportunity to be a career builder just in the building in general. And so this is a great way for Jim Harbaugh to show, you know, we always talk about everything is recruiting. This is also in its own way showing not only your coaching staff, but anyone else that may eventually come to Michigan as a coach, we're going to do what we can to try and put you in a position to win. We value your future career success and want to give you opportunities to build on that resume. So it's a great idea. It's a strange set of circumstances, but I think all things considered, they're making the most of it in a way that most people kind of looked at and went, oh, that, that's actually a good use of this time as far as skill development for the staff. Now, Harbaugh did say back on June 1st that he thought he had four future head coaches as soon as next year uh, on his staff. And so he's putting those four forward. He says that he thinks he has 10 uh, future head coaches as far as assistants are concerned. So that is an interesting way to look at it is the idea that you're essentially recruiting your next your next crop of coaches, but of course they have to actually coach in these games. Now, Jim Harbaugh is around all week. He still practices look the same as if nothing was changing, but week one, Jesse Minter takes the helm week two, uh, Jay Harbaugh in the first half, Mike Hart in the second half, and then uh, Sharon Moore in week three, Michigan's pretty banged up at the moment as well. And no one ever is full strength, but I mean, we're going to see probably several starters, not actually, suiting up for the Wolverines in week one with this kind of confluence of the situation here. uh, How do you think it affects the Wolverines uh, and and what do they need to do to continue to be impressive there at the number two spot in the polls? Yeah. You know, I think that falls on, you know, your veteran leadership on the team. It's one of the things that we've lauded Michigan for and why they're so highly thought of going into this year, because in a world of college football where you have so much turnover in the portal, so many changes year to year to bring back so many familiar voices along the offensive line, the running back room, the quarterback room, some key guys in the linebacker and in the secondary on defense. Every great team is player led. And so you've got Jim Harbaugh, like you said, it's going to be around during the week. Their game preparation during the week is going to look the same. The challenge is going to be yeah, you want to let these coaches get meaningful experience, imparting some of their own form on how they address the room, how they structure things going into the weekend. But it's still, I'd imagine, going to be, hey, the same schedule on game day, the same schedule in pregame, all the same things that guys are used to, and just trying to keep that routine as familiar as possible, even if the voice that might be the last one you hear going out of the locker room or on the sideline managing situations during games is going to be different. So the charge for coaches in any situation is how do we keep the situations as similar as possible for the players? Because they've got a job to do and they're the young people in the midst for the staff. It's going to be, 
all right, now because you're elevating someone to that head coaching spot who's normally in a different position, chain of command's a little bit different for everybody. And so I think this really falls more on the coaches to, again, all right, I've got to do a little bit more on game day. We know the competition is favorable at the beginning, but like you said, dealing with injury and trying to make sure, hey, we're still getting meaningful reps for our guys as we develop the 2023 team for all the continuity they have. And so that's really where the challenge falls on. Can the coaches who are a little bit out of joint make this as similar an experience and replicable as possible for the players involved? Now, you've obviously played for a major program. For those who might not be as well-versed in the college football everything, Golik over here has played for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, that's obviously a program that always is trying to out-tradition Michigan and Michigan vice versa. That's as my friend Jordan Pomaville put it. That's the that's the rivalry there in the nutshell. But you obviously uh, don't have a traditional conference schedule when you're in Notre Dame, but you have a certain set amount of opponents. But certainly there's still those those types of games that are on the schedule, especially early in the season, very similar to what uh, what Michigan will be facing. Notre Dame having just throttled Navy. That was such a lopsided affair I, that my excitement turned to sleepiness. I fell asleep at somewhere around halftime. Uh, but what, what is the danger looking back as a former player? Cause I feel like there is a danger, right? Like you, you, you when you're, when you're playing those in your, your case, the USC's of the world, uh, that you, you know what your, your task is, you know, when Michigan's playing Penn state, Ohio state, you know what your task is, but when you're a player going up against a team that you feel like you should resoundly beat, you're hoping that you're going to be on the bench by the end of the first quarter. What is the danger there as a, as someone who's gearing up for these first three games? Yeah, the danger is you let it affect your preparation during the week because oftentimes the thing that happens when you're a team you know, like Notre Dame, like Michigan, like one of the big-time schools, and you see a helmet sticker, and you see more importantly on tape, right? Michigan's going to watch on tape for the first three weeks of the season and see teams that are far inferior to them on the football field playing against the competition they usually play against you're going to get a different effort when you're Michigan, when you're the number two team in the country walking in somewhere. And so you have to prepare that week with in mind, hey, I'm going to get uncommon effort from these guys because for some players at smaller schools, this is going to be the tape. If you're a guy trying to get to the NFL, a scout's going to go and say, oh, well, let's look when the dude from UNLV played Michigan because we know he's going up against NFL caliber dudes over there. This is their opportunity to make a name for themselves. And so you've got to prepare for that kind of effort and also for the trick plays, for things that they're going to pull out you won't see for the rest of the season, the stuff that programs tend to save. And if you're not extremely mentally dialed in and ready for that stuff and you let a team that's an inferior opponent football-wise hang around, we all know how that can go. And so on game day, you know, sometimes it'll lead to a little extra juice, but I'm one that sort of thinks if you're a mature team, and this is, again, what we talk about with Michigan, we talk about programs that have, gotten used to what it takes to win at a high level a mature team can usually overcome that it's really about hey don't let what you see on tape which is a team you should soundly beat affect the consistency of how you prepare during the week even when the helmet sticker is not as exciting on the other sideline right on that's uh that's some really good insight now i do want to continue this conversation of course i want to move into what we weren't able to do last time which is discuss some of those other teams, your your outlook for the Ohio States, the Penn States of the world for Michigan has a beat Georgia drill. I want, want your thoughts on them and some of those things. We're going to do that here in just a moment. Uh, before we do that, however, 
uh go like you you just went and saw taylor swift in los angeles i'm sure that wasn't an easy ticket to get i saw justin bieber here in detroit last year that one is a game uh, not a game but a concert that had me stressed out i think back to 2013 trying to get tickets to michigan notre dame under the lights too that was a stressful day trying to make sure that i got my tickets for that game but buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. You want to go see Hamilton? Hamilton's in town? Guess what? They've got you covered with that. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you'll have. Uh, there are so many different things that I like about game time. I mean, they got flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find and buy tickets for every single event that is out there in your area. But I think the coolest thing is, is you got the seat views you can see right there. Sometimes I, I find trouble with some of the other uh, services trying to figure out what's my sight line going to be because we, we've all probably gone to an event. I went and saw Wicked back in 2007 and uh, I was behind a pillar. Wasn't fun. Uh, so that's one of the things that you can avoid with game time. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You're trying to go to Michigan ECU. Guess what? Friday, you can, you can still make that happen. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an, an account, use the code lockdown college for 20% off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code lockdown college for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Going to continue on here with Mike Gola Jr., DraftKings, a bunch of other places. You see him everywhere. Uh, definitely check out his show, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus. Uh, it's going to be something to behold. And certainly, you've been very high on Michigan this year and, and think big things, but... The Wolverines have a couple opponents more so late in the season that are, I, I think, going to be troublesome, of course. And let's let's fast forward to week 11. Uh, to me, Michigan should be going undefeated unless there's calamity, injury, something like that. Going into Happy Valley against Penn State. People are very high on Penn State nationally. What are your thoughts about the Nittany Lions? Yeah, I think like everything, everyone else, we're all high on what they've got returning. Uh, we know in the backfield there, you know, uh, Olu Fashano in the offensive line, the talent there, you know, Drew Lard, that new era starting now, as you've had Sean Clifford, it felt like in college as long as a Syracuse point guard. And he gave you the whole roller coaster of experience that you get with, I think, a, a very good college quarterback, right? Sean's probably not going to be a guy with a prolific NFL career. And even in college, he was up and down, but he would give you some of the veteran stuff every once in a while, indicative of a guy who's seen a lot of reps. With Drew, you give away the reps and experience in the name of top-end talent. Big, strong kid, great arm. You hear people rant and rave about what he can give them as a prospect. And so if he can give them a, a more consistent pass game and maybe even start to push the ceiling a bit of what they're capable of, that's exciting defensively. We know they're a team full of a lot of smaller freak athletic body types. And you can look at Bruce Feldman's freaks list to start the season. I think there were four or five guys from Penn State's front seven alone in that grouping there who are in that, you know, 
6'1 to 6'3, 235 pound, 265 pound range that are going to stress you on the edges, be great pass rushers. We know with Manny Diaz's defense, he wants to bring guys from all over the place, give you a bunch of exotics. But the question for them is still going to be, there's not a lot of weight. There's quite literally a little lack of ass on that defensive front. And when they played Michigan last year, that was the trouble that they got into was we know how Michigan has wanted to win football games under Jim Harbaugh, especially in the last few years when they've raised their own ceiling. Is Penn State going to be in a better position this year to stop that? Personnel-wise, it doesn't seem to be, but we know with those caliber of athletes, there are other ways aside from just brute force to try and be able to go out there and affect a run game as downhill and in your face as Michigan's, but it's going to remain to be seen if they've figured out a difference game plan-wise that can slow down blunt force trauma, which is what Michigan wants to major in with them. Yeah, there's two things there. It's number one, I think about 2016, it was kind of a similar approach. And Penn State won the Big Ten by virtue of beating Ohio State, but uh, got absolutely throttled by a, a bigger, stronger Michigan team. So I'm curious about that. But the other thing with Penn State that I I, I hear a lot about, and, and maybe you can clarify it for me, is is that offensive line. I, I feel like we everyone's talking about Olufashunu and rightly deserved, right? That that's rightly so. It's it's usually either him or Joe Alt who's going to be the first uh, offensive tackle taken in the NFL draft. He's that good. But Penn State has not been known for its offensive line, and they do have one. You know, obviously one top tier player. They hope to be a lot better. What do you think of that unit? And I mean, you're an, a former offensive lineman yourself. If how much can one guy elevate a group if that's even a thing that you can do? Yeah, I mean, it could certainly help. You know, obviously, I don't want to compare Olu to this player because they're they're very different players and what his strengths are versus what this guy's strengths are. But I played with Zach Martin, who was our left tackle when I was at Notre Dame, who's now going to be one of the three best guards to ever play pro football. And with Zach on the O-line, what you can do when you've got one great player is, hey, man, it's easy to slide help towards the guys that were like me that needed a little bit more help. So you can lock down that left side, and you saw against top-tier competition as the year went on, in games like the game against Ohio State where they took them down to the wire, he was really good uh, against a lot of the high-profile rushers that Ohio State was going to trot out. And so I-, I think it does allow you to potentially send resources to other spots. You can send chip help to other places. You can send the line slide to other places if it works within your scheme that way. So it does afford you some of that because Penn State, the rest of their line is is solid. I wouldn't say remarkable in any one era. I've seen the guys returning on tape. They lost a couple of other guys. Uh, to the draft this year, to graduation this year. And so it'll be interesting to see who steps up around him. You also, though, had the added benefit if you're, if you're Penn State of what the backfield can do for you there. And between Katron K- Allen and Nick Singleton, you've got home run hitters that certainly brush back a defense a little bit more because you've got to worry about that with those guys. And if Drew can start to hit you over the top a little bit, then you get a little bit lighter box looks. Then you make life easier for those guys when you can do as much two-back stuff as they're capable of doing with such a potent backfield. So especially in college football, great running back talent can really help make life easier for your offensive line in maybe a way that's a little less true when you go up to the NFL level. And so they've certainly got the horses in the backfield to make that true for an offensive line that you know we'll see if the rest of the group can go out there and get close to meeting the level of the guy they've got at left tackle. Now the danger here in the Big Ten is Penn State had rightfully 
did what they could to essentially go out and beat the next team we're going to talk about, which is Ohio State. The problem occurs is what happens if someone else like Michigan comes up with a different plan and that and that plan happens to be capable of beating Ohio State like Michigan has the last two years, beating Penn State like it has the last two years. But Ohio State is an interesting team to me uh, for different reasons than it normally kind of is because you always know generally what they're going to have. And there's a lot we know that they do have elite skill players on both sides of the ball is that that's going to continue to be a thing. But uh, obviously we're looking at a new quarterback. Uh, Kyle McCord was named the starter, I believe yesterday morning. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Buckeyes right now? Yeah. Offensively, I tend not to worry too much about them because if anyone's earned the benefit of the doubt, when it comes to reloading, I mean, you look at, you know, the last quarterback that left there, certainly was filling in for big shoes, right? When you looked at coming off of what Justin Fields was doing before C.J. Stroud got there, yeah, you had the pandemic short se- shortened season, but Justin Fields last year there, he threw over 40 touchdown passes. C.J. Stroud responded by throwing for over 40 touchdown passes for the last two years. Ryan Day's worked with different quarterbacks during his tenure here, and he's been able to make all of them between being an offensive coordinator and between being the head coach. He's been able to make it work because the guy knows how to call offense really well at this level, and he usually has some of the best skill players in college football. He's got probably the best non-quarterback in the upcoming draft class in Marvin Harrison Jr., in addition to the rest of that receiver room, Mayan Williams in the backfield, on and on down the list. I mean, you could probably have the argument with them and maybe Washington's returning skill groups as the two most potent offensive skill groups in college football this year. So, For Kyle McCord, we know these are guys still highly recruited in this quarterback room and are going to have all the help in the world around them. So I worry less about them and more is Ohio State going to get back to form in the secondary on defense? That seems to be the place where from the Ohio State for years that was the banner in the Big Ten and one of the most nationally prominent programs, you had NFL guys coming out of corner each and every year Whereas last year we saw, we talked about in this pod in the Michigan game, that was where you got beat last year was big plays given up by the secondary as opposed to really anything on the ground. That front seven has definitely retooled under the new regime on defense, but it can that back end hold up in the same way with the pressure, pressure being applied by the Jack Sawyers and the TJ Tuamalos of the world. I, I am really curious to see. I, mostly I, 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 I think that I, I disagreed with you and you ended up being more right than not uh, last preseason when you were discussing Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, you thought Notre Dame was going to give them a challenge. I did not. Notre Dame gave them a challenge. This year, I'm looking at that game. I mean, I think that that's Notre Dame's game, right? Like I, I, after watching Sam Hartman, feels like he's the missing piece for the, for the Irish. I, I look at that, and Ohio State could very well be in trouble week four when they get to that game, because I just think that that they have everything that they need to be able to take down the Buckeyes. If they just play a little bit better offensive game, it's, it's it could be anyone's Ohio state very well could have a couple of losses this year, which is not something that they're used to saying in Columbus. And I could be wrong. They could end up being undefeated and better than ever. Cause that's just unfortunately how that program has tended to be. Every time you think they're going to take a step back, they take a step forward. Uh, last team I want to ask you about, and that's Georgia because Michigan has implemented the beat Georgia period. That all eyes for them is on they're on Georgia. I talked to Trevor Sikama from PFF yesterday, and he said he feels like these are two teams on a collision course. So even though we don't know if they'll ever play, you're right. They might not play for 20 years. We have no idea. What are your thoughts on Georgia? They also have a, have a new quarterback in Carson Beck. 
Uh, they've lost a lot of people, but obviously number one team in the country for a reason. So why is that? Uh, because they've recruited in a way that few people in college football have the ability to match, right? It's been them in Alabama basically going one and two in the college football recruiting rankings for a long time now. Bud Elliott over at 24-7 has, you know, the blue chip ratio stuff. These are almost always the leaders and the percentage of the roster that's made up of those guys. And so they've they've earned the benefit of the doubt at this point, right? We're coming off a year where Georgia went back to back after losing a ton of important pieces off the best college football defense I've seen in my lifetime, probably, or one of them in the 2021 Georgia outfit. And they were able to overcome that. The most interesting part for me, honestly, you know, Carson Beck, another high big time recruit guy, right? They're coming off of the Stetson Bennett era. So that wasn't a guy that was going to jump out at you with the star ranking. That really has never been Kirby Smart's kink in Athens. He's actually let guys go with higher star rankings. Guys like Justin Fields who have gone on to greener pastures and put that talent to use somewhere else, but got one of those guys under center right now, but no Todd Munkin who has been an integral part of what this Georgia offense has been opposite that world beating defense. The way he's made use of deep passing, quarterback run, 12 personnel looks on and on down the list. And so you come back with a new quarterback and what's the best thing, the most cliche answer we give about what can you help a new quarterback out with early on in their time? Really good offensive line, really competent tight end. Georgia's got both of those in spades, right? you got the best tight end of the country, the Mackey Award winner from last year, and Brock Bowers coming back. You've got an offensive line led by Cedric Van Pran, who might be one of the best centers in college football that lost some on the edge, but they've, again, recruited very well along the trenches, probably better than most in that area, or I think second or close to second in the voting for the Joe Moore Award last year, neck and neck with Michigan down the stretch of the season. So you've got those things on offense. They have earned the benefit of the doubt on defense, even with a lot of turnover, more of those top-end talents gone. And so, yeah, they're the standard right now, and quite honestly, them and Michigan both have the schedules that are favorable enough to go along with it where you sort of just pencil them in already for the college football playoff in a lot of people's minds. You know, uh, obviously the team in Tuscaloosa and the team in Columbus going to have a lot to say about that, though. How much do you think that you mentioned Todd Munkin? How much do you think that considering he went to the Baltimore Ravens, right? That was a Harbaugh brother conspiracy to try to sabotage Georgia from the internal. Jim Harbaugh takes coaches from John. John takes coaches from the teams that Michigan wants to be. That's that's what I'm going to say with that. Um, you know what? I, I love a good conspiracy theory. I don't <laughs> know if I'd buy into that as much as I think John Harbaugh really wants to see this Lamar Jackson thing work out the best it can. But, hey, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story sometimes. <laughs> All right, Mike Golick Jr., thank you for joining us. Uh, again, you can check him out on DraftKingsNetwork.com, uh, Samsung TV Plus. Uh, you can watch uh, Gojo and Mike Golick Sr. together. And that's the way that it should be. So thank you again for joining. Great insight. Excited to have you back during the season. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. That was Mike Golick Jr., DraftKings. Definitely enjoy having him on. Just a wealth of knowledge and insight and uh, really, really good stuff from him there. We're going to continue on just for a few more moments. Uh, Just going to touch on a couple little topics, not one big overarching theme. And we're going to do that here in just a moment. I can't believe that week one is really here. I think it finally kind of hit me last night because I didn't write all day. Uh, We did the podcast uh, mid-afternoon, right, with Trevor Sykema. If you didn't check that out, check that out. 
uh, wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube or any of that. Um, he has Michigan winning the whole shebang. So that's definitely something to check out. But uh, it was last night when I had fallen behind on Monday because of everything that was going on. Right. Having to go, not having, I got to go, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, just it, week one. I mean, this happens. This is the third time that it's happened in week one where I've had to go somewhere and, and speak, uh, which I, uh, I appreciate that opportunity. So it's not like it's it's uh, an endeavor. It's just more of I, I didn't get a chance to write uh, based off of the Monday press conference, which had a little bit more than normal because we had not only Harbaugh for 20 minutes, we had Jesse Minner for 20 minutes and then three players. So last night I finally sat down and I started writing and I wrote something based off of all eight players that we had speak, spoken to going from uh, the press conference we had last night to the three we had on Monday. And then it finally kind of suddenly hit me like, wow, there's, there's really a game coming up, right? Like I just spent all night writing. Like my eyes are barely open. I spent all night writing. I'm sure it's, it's a little different because I'm sure a lot of you, you know, you see the countdowns. It's just wild when you see a three on that countdown compared to, 223 you know <laughs> when it's like okay it's not it's never coming i'm just gonna forget about it i had forgotten about it and now we're here um so a couple quick things here so like i mentioned with Golik, we didn't talk about this is that michigan does seem rather banged up at the moment uh, a lot of a lot of key injuries um we, there's a reason why there's a lot of names that we haven't talked about and why we haven't mentioned Peyton O'Leary after the spring. You know, it's not just because, oh, he reverted back to walk-on status and just wasn't really going to be available. Uh, it Because of that, it's because he's been banged up. The reason why we haven't heard about Jimmy Rolder is because he's been banged up. Now, those are more, like, non, non-big non factor players, but, like, Chris Ballas has been reporting on Wolverine.com. Again, that's the one place I subscribe uh, he, uh, not to give away their info, there's, there's some starters that could be out, uh, for this game. So be prepared for that. You might not see everybody, but it does sound like it's all hands on deck. That's one of the reasons why I asked Golik, like, you know, what, what are the, the pitfalls that can happen facing a team like this? Not that they're, they're not taking East Carolina lightly at all. Roman Wilson and Josiah Stewart talked about East Carolina yesterday. And it's like the, you know, pesky. We know we're going to get their best shot. We know where they're, we're going to see some trick plays. We know uh, they're, they're going to do some things that are just going to be annoying because that's the type of team they are. Josiah Stewart very much knows, you know, obviously as someone who played at Coastal Carolina, that that's the type of thing that they're going to face. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot more over the last two days about the freshman receivers. I'm, 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 I spent all off season, right? Saying like, these, I, I don't think that you can really necessarily count on the fre- you know freshman receivers, but I, I'm at the point now where I'm like, one of these guys is going to break out. I, I, and I can't pick which one because I, I can oscillate between the three. I heard great things about Carmelo English yesterday and today. Frederick Moore has been a constant. Samaj Morgan, I feel like, is sneaky underrated and can be that dude that just kind of comes out from out of nowhere. It's unlikely generally that a freshman or wide receiver is going to come in and just become like that game changer, right? Like not even Marvin Harrison Jr. was out there just throwing haymakers from that position last year, right? That wasn't happening uh, in, in his first year. 
and I'm trying to pull up something and I can't type correctly. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that a guy can't do it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hearken back to 2021 real quick. Marvin Harrison Jr., freshman, played in 13 games, had 11 receptions for 139 yards. Next year, 77-12-63. So it's like I said before, generally, year one to year two, that's when you make the move. Of course, he was sitting behind uh, three other worldly receivers, although you didn't, although you still saw it against Michigan. Maybe it wasn't quite the same. Uh, but I'm going to bring up a name that no one likes to bring up, but it, it's a good Example of the freshman receiver, Xavier Worthy. Could have been at Michigan, wasn't. 12 games, 62 receptions, 981 yards. So it can be done. Michigan needs receivers to step up. It needs to be like we had Ron Bellamy today, and it doesn't really, didn't really feel like, like, oh, this is the coach we've been clamoring to talk with because he's got, it's not like when you've got the quarterback's coach or the, the defensive line coach where it's like, uh, tell me everything. You know, we had Chris Partridge today. Tell me everything. Didn't really feel like that necessarily at, at first. And then I think by the end of this 16, 17-minute conversation, it was like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, East Carolina. Lots of uh, new faces, but some that have been around their quarterback, as uh, as mentioned in the press conference today, has has some experience. He just wasn't the starter. He started some games in 2020, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. They're they're not going, and he's more mobile, so they're not going to be afraid of of Michigan because they're that as they've said before, the giant killer. We'll finish on this. Uh, I'm going to go back. I think the 2020 is one that's a good place to start. Not necessarily giant killing all the time here, right? Like the only one that they took down and it might not even have been a big deal was at South Florida. They beat them by 20 points. Uh, they, they lost to, again, in 2020, lost to number six Cincinnati, got absolutely eviscerated, uh, lost to 22 Tulsa in 2021. Uh, they, uh, they lost to the ranked opponent that they played, the two ranked opponents, Houston and Cincinnati. Uh, they lost by only three to South Carolina, but South Carolina was starting to transition into not great, uh, but still had a pretty good record. 2022, lost to Tulane. That's the only ranked opponent they played, but they beat BYU, who's generally been pretty good. They lost to Houston. They lost to NC State, but only by one. NC State was kind of the new hotness last year. Uh, you have to kind of go back to some of those other uh, other years, which pretty much whenever they've played teams that were ranked, they have in fact lost, but they are that sneaky team. They are, they are generally a good team. They've had bad years, but they're generally pretty good. Uh, anyhow, that's it. That's the show. I think we've probably gone long. I'm not keeping the clock right now. Uh, we will be back with the mailbag on Thursday. Friday will be the preview. Again, I don't know if we're going to have a guest for that or not. I'm trying. Have had someone in mind for months. I've kind of heard from them. I'd say put pressure on them, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. So anyway, that's going to do it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Peace.